Jerry and I noticed that some of the kids we tutored were now coming back as parents at the Christmas time. They were still in the same zip code. Um, and uh, we also were told by um, the, the director then, who was Bob Barnhill, or well, not really by him, but by the, a teacher at Lipscomb who was a, a social worker, <clears throat> that she was filling out forms for each mother as she'd come through, and they would say, what, would, what do you wish that YES would do for you, or Youth Hobby Shop would do for you? And they'd always say, always say Bible study, and then the second thing they would say would be daycare. And nothing was happening on either front. So uh, Kim came, came to me one time and she said, they keep crying for daycare and nobody's doing anything. Well, <clears throat> about that time, um, I heard something on public uh, radio about year, uh, day, what did they call it? It was full day care. They were trying to give to inner city children so that they'd be ready for school when it came. Wraparound care. Wraparound care, they called it. And I thought, man, that sounds good. That, that's kind of what we need. And uh, <clears throat> we were down tutoring uh, one, uh, Wayne Reed, I'm not gonna say this in chronological order, but Wayne Reed began to fall while he was playing basketball with his friends on Thursday nights. And he would try to go up to hit the basket. He was a great athlete. He tried to go up and he, he couldn't. And he knew something bad was happening. And uh, he was diagnosed with a form of Lou Gehrig's disease. So instead of playing ball, he decided to come to the, to the tutoring program. And he would come, uh, come in. he would come and, and we would have kids bust in and siblings who were still in diapers were were coming, just getting on the bus. And uh, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, we didn't know what to do with them. And Wayne Reed said, I'll take them. I'll take them off in this room. And so he would bring floor puzzles, all kinds of coloring things, everything he thought a preschooler would enjoy. And he'd have as many as 24 in a room smaller than this. And uh, I have a vivid memory of walking in with him down on his knees, working a floor puzzle, and kids on his back and all around him on the floor. Uh, um, and then he got so, he was afraid to do that because he was afraid he'd fall on them. And so they were moved back out into the auditorium with, or the gym with the rest of us. But uh, Gail Shrigley came one time and she said, if you're gonna help anybody, those little ones are the one you'll have the most ones you'll have the most success with. Get those kids, work with them, and that'll make a difference. The kids in the elementary age group are much more difficult to help now that they've already gotten into the fourth, fifth grade. It's, it takes more work than one night a week to help them. So I was talking to Wayne on the about that same time the church said, We've paid off our building. We need we need something we can all focus on. We don't want to go off in 10 directions. <coughs> so uh, I was talking with Diana Reed on the phone and I said, you know what, I really think, I think we need a preschool like Otter Creek's preschool. She just screamed over the telephone. That's what Wayne is always saying. <laughs> uh, the church said, oh, 
Bob Barnhill and I went to the elders and said, that's what we want to do. We want to start a preschool like Otter Creeks in, in their bu existing building. And the elders said, come back with details. And so we began to work with a task force and Wayne and I had already decided what the task force was going to come <laughs> the conclusion they were going to come out with. <laughs> we weren't going to be good committee members. We knew what we wanted and we were going for it. And uh, John Recker, who, who's just my champion, uh, leaned over to me one time and said, are you committed to this? And I said, I am. And he said, I am with you all the way. And so we announced to the church that this is what we wanted to do. And we asked them to vote on it. And we got all but two votes from the old congregation. I, I think there may have been three, 400 people there then. I'm, I'm not sure, not, not too many adults there at that time, all but two. And they were worried about federal government. How would you handle using federal food and all that sort of thing? That, that was their only concern. So people sold everything from jewelry to their junk to Christmas trees. We had 5K races. We had golf tournaments, everything we could to raise money. And I learned to write grants. <laughs> and uh, within, by, uh, that was in about 1996. By 1998, we opened the door in September, and we were debt-free with a $750,000 state-of-the-art building. All the time we were talking about this, I would say, you know, we got teachers, accountants, plumbers, we've got everything, but uh, we don't have an architect. And someone said, well, the best one in town just moved here, <laughs> moved to Otter Creek, and it was Terry Bates. And I, I just went up to him in the hall. I said, I don't know if you know who I am, but we need an architect. Would you be interested? I'd love to do it. And all my workers would love to. We're sick of building for, for women <laughs> who are so picky. <laughs> <laughs> so we would love to do this. And so he designed the building at no cost. And uh, we opened the doors debt-free. And uh, we've been running ever since with the state's highest rating, highest. We, we decided, Terry Bates said about the building, we're going first class all the way on the building. They have enough second class, third class stuff that they've dealt with all their lives. We're going first class. So we also decided we were gonna do the program that way as well. Uh, we were gonna train our teachers. So our teachers, many of our teachers were single moms. Our teachers were single moms <coughs> and we sent them to school uh, we opened it to all low-income families. We would take five who could pay privately if, they, if there were any in the area, but the rest all were going to be low-income families, and we were focusing on uh, single moms, single parents. <clears throat> and uh, the governor had, I didn't even start at the beginning, the governor had stood up somewhere and had said, we're going to get people out of welfare. We have an 18-month program. We're going to call it Families First. And we need private groups to rise up with daycare for the families that we're going to get in, into the job court, job market. Well, that we did. We stood up and said, we'll do it. And um, the people in Families First would get certificates for child care. 
and uh, the the deal was you had to be working or you be, had to be working trying to get a job or trying to get a better job or going getting a G, GED or going back to school and we take your children and so when we started we didn't have too many but by the end of the year we had 50 children ages one through uh, four and a half and we had a developmental stages. We had teachers here that helped us plan how to do it. We had, uh, uh, we, we were going to be academic from the beginning. We were going to have behavioral skills that they learned from the beginning. It was not going to be warehousing kids. We were going to limit our numbers so that we weren't just overflowing with children. And so the very earliest ones were gonna learn stuff. They were gonna learn their colors. They were gonna learn shapes. They were gonna learn to be responsible to put their trash in the can. They're gonna learn to share all those things we were gonna do with them. And they go to the next class and she would build on those skills and so forth. <laughs> and uh, we, we also knew down deep in our hearts, everything told us this, if you want children to thrive, you have to help the parents thrive. And so we helped parents. We, we had, semi, we still do, seminars for parents and how to, how, on developmental stages of children, for one thing, if you were 15 when your child was born, you don't know that a two-year-old, two years, they all say no. <laughs> you think they're being really bad. Um, I think I thought that uh, with the first child. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Paige Smith comes and does things for them to show them these are the stages that they go and they all go through these stages You're, there's nothing unusual happening we have jobs had a terrific job seminar uh, we, we've only had one in the last few years we had a social worker who was helping us arrange all this and we don't have her now she got very very sick and had to leave uh, but we got businessmen to come and other people come to help women and men write um, res uh, their resumes, type them up and make them look great. Uh, then we did fake job interviews and, and after the job interview, the person who was doing the interviewing would say, now next time when I ask you that, you look me right in the eyes. Sit up straight and look me right in the eyes. And next time when I ask you that, I want you to do so and so. So they were teaching them how to be interviewed. And um, before a month, was over, every one of them had a job. It was so successful, we should have done it 20 times, but with, without a social work that, worker there to help us do that, the director was overwhelmed with what she was doing anyway. Um, we have, um, I'm trying to think, we had one great thing, we invited Howard Gentry to come down to the area and he uh, was able to, what's the word, expunge felonies for 75 people. <laughs> that meant they, they could get a driver's license again. They could you know, ha have a car again. All the things that you can't have when you, when you have a felony and you've, they've taken away your, some felony and they've taken away your driver's license or whatever. Uh, we've done a lot of things with parents. We've, we've given them furniture, air conditioners, clothing, rent, subsidy, that kind of thing, just to keep them going. Uh, with the kids, 
we were doing so well in the oldest class that the Tennessee Department of Education said, we will give you a grant. We'll call that a pilot program. They gave us a huge grant every single year with no end in sight, we thought. And then they decided to redo that and make our classroom a metro off-site classroom. So they, they provide the teacher and the salary for the teacher, but now it's a metro classroom and we can't do some of the things that we used to do. And in the summer, we don't have that metro teacher, so we can do whatever we want to in the summer. Um, Gail Shrigley teaches Bible lessons uh, once a week. Eve, Eve Jackson has taught Spanish to two classes for many years. Men come down and eat lunch. They are lunch buddies. They sit and talk with the kids while they're eating and read books to the kids. Uh, we have some women, we know that what they need is conversation as well as having books read to them. So we have a group called, or a program called Talking with Toddlers. And people come down, they just sit on the floor and talk with kids as they're playing and play the games that they're playing and may eat lunch with them, may not. We have volunteer readers uh, across the board, I think in every classroom. Faye Reader, uh, whom she just mentioned, who lost her mother-in-law, comes down and actually is an assistant in that pre-K classroom. She'll take the child that needs the most help, take that child aside. And there, uh, there's someone else now who's doing that, but I can't think, oh, Dan Arnett is doing that and taking a kid aside and talking with that kid. Um, I'm, thinking, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I ought to tell you. Uh, three governors, let's see. Yeah, Bredis Sunquist invited us first year to his home. <laughs> we went to the governor's mansion in a bus. Um, Bredesen came and announced universal pre-K for Tennessee from, from our facility. Um, Haslam has been there with his wife to read books and of course be filmed. <laughs> All the stuff that goes, the whole entourage comes when a governor comes. Um, I'm trying to think of anything. Oh, you wanted a story of a success a success story, okay. We had a, I had a girl that I had taught when she was a teenager at the <coughs> old Lindsay Avenue shop. Taught her and her sisters on Saturdays and teach Bible. And um, she got entangled with a guy who finally married her. She had five children by him. He was a drug dealer and a drug user and abusive. She finally got up the courage to leave him. She moved in with her mother, who was a cook. Uh, they were in a two-bedroom house. And um, she, brought, she brought her kids to the Wayne Reed Center, four of them. The oldest one was already in public school. Her four kids to the center. Um, she then went to get to one of those medical tech places and learned whatever, I think she learned to draw blood, learned to do the basic things that a medical technician does. She got a job with a pediatric clinic over on Charlotte. They love her. 
they help her out at Christmas. They do all kinds of things with her and for her. And she's been there over 10 years. Uh, the oldest child now works in a rehab facility for older people. The next child, Alex, has worked four years. They've all graduated. They've three, the top three, oldest three have graduated from high school. And that's our main goal. Um, the uh, younger two are junior and senior in high school. Uh, this boy has worked at Nissan for four years. This boy just graduated with straight A's from East Magnet and is uh, going to MTSU next year. Uh, these two kids are doing well. Uh, our goal and everything we had read was that if you do it right, if you intervene early enough, if you get stretch their vocabularies, if they learn the soft skills, they will, in the course of school, stay out of drugs, stay out of gangs, they're less likely uh, to drop out, all those things. And you, you read the news that says pre-K is failing and so forth. Well, some pre-Ks are failing because they get kids who walk in the door not even maybe at age four knowing what their full name is. Uh, who are you? I'm little mama. Who are you? I'm Bubba. Who are you? I'm Nikki. And it may not, that just may be a nickname, that's not their name. So they not only don't know their full name, they may not know their first name. And they, our kids, by the time they leave us, know their full names and can write it. They recognize it when they see it on a piece of paper. They recognize 20 or 30 other words, and they can write them. They can write their letters. They can write their alphabet. They know all their colors. They, they know the soft skills. Um, they are responsible, and they've experienced things. We have farmers and zoo people who bring in animals. We've, if you ever saw my Facebook page, I'm standing there in, up in that classroom with a 60-pound albino python around my neck because someone brought it for the kids to see. We we, Jerry Rainey brings miniature horses and cows and goats, and they get to touch them and pet them. And I think the sweetest thing I ever saw was a child leaning up against one of those animals with her face just against it. She'd never seen one before. I mean, she'd seen them in books, a cartoon picture in books. She'd never seen a live animal like that. And a mother did not know what a pig was. She saw the pig and didn't know what it was. When you're 15 and you drop out, your, your experiences have, uh, have had lots of limits. Well, I don't know if I've told you everything. I've got, I've got more story. She, we could talk about this forever. I haven't There's told so you about the, much to share. I haven't told you about uh, one boy whose mother brought him, and she, she knew he was bright. She knew he was remarkable, but she couldn't manage him. Nobody could manage him. And she said what happened at, at Wayne Reed was he gained maturity and self-discipline. He left us. He went to Lead Academy. He was a star basketball player. He got a full scholarship to a small school, small college somewhere in Tennessee. I've forgotten the name of it. And is doing well. And she got a job and kept, has kept it for 14 years. So. It ha has all kinds of great ramifications. Uh, have we baptized a lot of people? No. Uh, 
I remember someone getting up, we're taking Jesus to the inner city. And I thought, I have thought so many times, our faith has grown, <laughs> that we see Jesus in the inner city. Uh, these women thank God for everything. Everything done for them, they thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. They are believers. We, I heard Maya Angelou say one time, there are probably five black atheists in the United States. <laughs> our, our, our kids are from families that believe. They don't have it all together. At just as I don't have it all together, but I have seen faith in so many of them. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a remarkable thing. That's good. And as a, as a side note to all of that too, was it three years ago, four years ago, Otter Creek built through Habitat homes? For two teachers. teachers. Mm -hmm. Yes, two teachers have Habitat houses mm -hmm. as a result. Our teachers can talk with the kids because half of them were in that situation. They were they were single parents. They understand. Thank you. Yeah. I hope I didn't take too much of this guy. By the way, I take credit for everything he is. <laughs> <laughs> he was in my world <coughs> world lit class. And I won't tell him how little I knew about world lit when I was there. <laughs> but he was a star even then. <laughs> well Preston and I hope we have for questions maybe at the end. Um, anyway, we had a lot we needed wanted to do today, but we may not get to it all, so which is fine. But <clears throat> Preston, do you want to um, share with us about the prison ministry and maybe how you got involved and opportunities for people to be involved? Sure. And I'll just well, I'll, I'll try to keep it really brief so there is time for uh, sorry. questions. Um, no, no, it is it is my joy to be up here with you uh, because. <laughs> I recognize you as an elder and, uh, and a shepherd of this congregation, even well, if the institution the is not willing to formally recognize you as such. Um, but, so I was a very unlikely person to be involved in prison ministry in one respect, and that is that when I started in 2002, I was a prosecuting attorney for the Tennessee Attorney General's office. And, was, and that's all I ever wanted to do. That's why I went to law school was to be a criminal prosecutor black and white view of those sorts of issues uh, that people had, had broken the law and deserved to be punished severely. And I thought that that was absolutely in accord with God's will. But at the same time, my dad had done prison ministry as I was growing up, so I recognized that once these people were in prison, you couldn't just completely give up on them. You wanted to try to convert them to the gospel. Uh, and so I got involved in, in the prison ministry once I graduated law school. Uh, I cannot, like, like, like Ms. Sandy said about uh, Jesus is already there, um, I cannot articulate the extent to which I have been evangelized by people in prison. Uh, it has nothing to do with taking Jesus to them. If Matthew 25 is to be trusted, I go to encounter Jesus, and my salvation is intimately bound up with theirs. And as a result of my interactions with prisoners, I had to abandon my career as a prosecutor, and uh, that, that happened several years ago, and got involved in criminal justice reform and writing and speaking about how broken the system is, how much our punitive, retributive paradigm is flawed, uh, how we're wrecking whole communities, 
Um, the system that we currently have in place is terribly biased against poor minorities. We have the largest prison population in the history of the world, and it has not made us any safer. Um, the war on drugs that has been waged for 40 years has been a total and complete failure and disaster. Uh, and the current policies that we uh, have in place need to be changed yesterday. Otter Creek's prison ministry is not, is not quite as political as that. Um, it's, it's a fairly traditional prison ministry. Uh, every Sunday, someone from Otter Creek goes to the Riverbend prison to serve communion and, and be with the men there. I'm more involved in going to the Turney Center prison once a month. I'll be going tonight, and we conduct a full worship service there. But the relationships that I have forged, uh, you know, honestly, when I started doing prison work, I don't think I had a clue what the gospel was. Uh, and now I'm 40, and had I not done prison work, I don't think I'd have a clue what the gospel is, even now. Because I think you have to go be with people who are poor, be with people who are in prison, people who are vulnerable and marginalized, to really understand the Beatitudes, um, to, to understand certainly to, to obey the command set forth in Matthew 25. Um, you know, from his opening sermon in his, in his hometown synagogue to his death on the cross, Jesus proclaimed release to prisoners. And if we're not around prisoners, I think we miss a huge part of, of the gospel. And so the prison ministry for me has been huge. Now, it's, it's tiny. And right now, there's probably less than 10 people involved out of a church of you know, 14 or 1,500. And I think it's because uh, we're busy and, and we're afraid. I taught a class for Lipscomb out at the uh, women's prison one time. And I had a boy enrolled in the class who got to the parking lot and he saw all the fencing and the razor wire and the guards. And he just turned his car around and went back to campus. He, he couldn't bring himself to even get out of his car. You know, and, and that is by design. Uh, prisons are structured to keep us out as much as they are structured to keep people in. But uh, you know, we have to kind of figure out uh, that there's good news out there if we're willing to get out of our comfort zones a little bit and go into uh, a darker space. And so I'll share a quick story, and then I'll, I'll end because I don't really have much to say. Um, there was a guy named Raheem Buford. I got to know Raheem teaching a class out at Riverbend here in Nashville. Raheem was, was in prison for 26 years. When he was a young man, a teenager, he had no money. He needed money. He had been couch surfing for a while. He was feeling very bad about himself for freeloading. And so he went into a fast food restaurant with a gun and, and held the place up. And when the guy behind the counter was not moving as fast as he thought he should, and he was getting nervous, he fired a shot at the floor. The bullet ricocheted off the floor and hit the guy behind the counter and killed him. And so Raheem was tried for first degree murder. And so he ended up serving 26 years. Now while he was in, he, he participated in Lipscomb classes, the, the Lipscomb program that goes out to the prisons. Vanderbilt Divinity, uh, he's a theologian. He, he did everything. He learned to be a barber. He took yoga. I mean, and he, he became a peacemaker and worked in conflict management there at the prison. Truly a remarkable dude. And so when he got out, he wanted to go back into prisons. And so I took him along with me uh, Easter of last year. You, you may not remember what you did on Easter of last year. 
had I not been going to prisons, I would have come here and I would have you know, worn a nice outfit and sung something like Up From The Grave, grave Here Rose, you know, and think, yay, resurrection. I remember where I was Easter of last year because Raheem went with me to the Turning Center Prison. We got out there and he gave a remarkable presentation about new life, the new life he had found, rehabilitation, restoration. In the audience was a guy that he had served time with. This guy had been in a gang. This guy had had a beef with Raheem's brother who was also in prison. And when they were on the yard, this guy and some others in from the gang jumped Raheem and his brother, beat them to a pulp. Um, later, another gang mediated the dispute, recognizing that Raheem had been wrong and was entitled to vengeance. The way they worked it out was the gang ended up taking responsibility because they shouldn't have beat Raheem up because he didn't have anything to do with it. They gave him an eight ball of cocaine to kind of make up for things, okay? This guy, 20 years later, he's in the audience on Easter Sunday. He comes up to Raheem afterwards and he says, that, that was really wrong of me. I recognize, you know, something has gone right with you and I'm proud for that and I want to apologize. And I'm standing there while they hug mm. on Easter Sunday, mm. you know. And I would have missed all of that. I would have completely mm. failed to recognize what the Easter story was about had I not been able to see that because it would have been another Nice day, Sunday, songs, Josh. But I got to see reconciliation in practice. But I had to go to a prison to see it. And that, that has been my experience. Not everybody is called to prison work. Not everybody's called to leave their career. But for me, to, to understand the gospel and to have an encounter with the gospel, I've, I've had to go to prisons. Um, and you know, so I commend it to you either to, if you want to get involved, you can. Um, at, at the very least to, to try to understand the plight of the 2.3 million people that are currently incarcerated, many of whom are Christians. I, I had a secondhand experience with prison. Uh, my oldest daughter, whom you pray for, who now has breast cancer, uh, was a, a prison doctor for several years in the men's prison, and then for two years, or so in the women's prison and had stories that were so moving about kids who were in there because they happened to be in the car of the guy who went into the store and did something terrible. Or they happened to have in the car somewhere some sort of drug or they had a gun on them somewhere. Um, and so they've been in there eight, nine, ten years maybe. I, I probably have my facts wrong. Does that make any sense? Would that be? Oh, oh yeah, and, and, and particularly at the women's prison, you know, oh, where the Lipscomb program is really thriving. I don't think I've ever met a female inmate who was not in in relationship to a man, a husband, a boyfriend, an, an abuser, you know, something like that. I will add one quick thing. I just read this this morning. It's an email from a, a Franciscan priest named Richard Lord that I've really come to enjoy. And he's kind of talking about vocation. Um, and he says, strangely, your life is not about you. It is part of a much larger stream. The spirit is described as flowing water and as a spring inside you and as a river of life. Faith is trusting the big river of God's providential love. 
This is a divine process that we don't have to change, coerce, or improve. We just need to allow and enjoy it. That takes immense confidence. Um, uh, I'm oriented towards goals and making things happen, trying to push or even create my own river. Yet the big river already flows through me, and I am only one small part of it. Faith does not need to push the river, precisely because it is able to trust that there is a river. The river is flowing. Um, we are already in it, so do not be afraid. We have been given the spirit by a very proactive God. Uh, and that, that really resonates with my experience because at no point did I stop and say, I think I'm going to really give my life to prison work. That, you know, I'm going to grab the bull, but I need a ministry, I need a vocation, and I'm going you know, to do this, I'm going to grab the bull by the horns and blaze a trail in criminal justice reform. That was never it, and, and I can't imagine that you stopped and said, you know, what's going to happen is we're going to do Wayne Reed this way, and then you're going to end up, you know, sitting in I got class. pneumonia. After we made that decision, I got pneumonia. I'd never been sick. I don't ever have colds. I had pneumonia that year. I think. Just, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what are we in for? Well, and I had to, you know, when I, figured out, when I figured out I couldn't do my job anymore, I mean, I had kids, you know, yeah. and, but, you know, I think we're, we're already in it. You know, it's a matter of kind of keeping our eyes open and saying yes when things come our way. It's not a matter of finding a path. You know, I think when I was in my early 20s and I wanted to be a Christian so bad, what do I do? Should I go to Africa? Should I, go, you know, I've got, there's so many ways, you know, what should I, which one should I choose? It's not up to me. You know, it's not about me. I'm in, I'm in it. I just have to keep my eyes open, recognize it when I see it, say yes to it. Thank you both so much. We have about three minutes, oh. two or three minutes. That's good. I, this was great. Um, why don't we do this? If you all have questions for them, we'll open that up. Or if you want to share something maybe you've learned this semester about a specific gift um, or maybe how you've decided to use a gift here. Um, I know Kent had some things to share, but I, I don't know. It's more important okay. to hear from the class. Okay. That's okay. I can wind it up when they're done. Okay. So questions or comments would be great the last few minutes. That we have. Okay, come on, two or three minutes. And if not, then you can close this. Up. You know, we started our class a few months back um, talking about how in First Corinthians 12, Paul says he doesn't want us to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. And this class has had an effort of trying to inform us about all kinds of spiritual gifts. Those gifts are given by God, by the Holy Spirit, to, um, uh, to bring glory to God and for the common good. And uh, while not all of us are wired the same way, not all of us might be wired for prison ministry or Wayne Reed Center, we all have been gifted by God. And I hope that this this is an educational process, but also as they've been able to interview different people from the congregation. It's sort of a fable uh, I'd like to close with that uh, I, I, I enjoy. This might make some sense here. Once upon a time, right after creation, all the animals formed a school. They established a well-rounded curriculum of swimming, running, climbing, and flying. All the animals were required to take all the courses. The duck excelled at swimming. In fact, he was better than the instructor but he only made passing grades in climbing and was poor at running. 
He was so slow, he had to stay after school and practice running. This caused his webbed feet to become so badly worn, he became only an average swimmer. But average was quite acceptable, so no one ever worried about it, except the duck. The rabbit was the top of her class at running, but after a while, she was developed a twitch in her leg from all the time she spent in the water trying to improve her swimming. The squirrel was a peak performer at climbing, but was constantly frustrated in flying class. His body became so worn from hard landings, he didn't do well in climbing and ended up being pretty poor at running. <coughs> the eagle was a continual problem student. She was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing class, she would always beat everyone else to the top of the tree, but insisted on using her own way to get there. Each of the animals had a particular design. When they did what they were designed to do, they excelled. When they tried to operate outside their area of expertise, they were not nearly as effective. Ducks can run, excuse me, can ducks run? Sure they can, but it's not what they do best. And you and I, if I gave each of us an ink pen or a pencil and we were asked to sign our name, and I said, I, I want you to sign it with not the writing hand, but the other hand, could we do it? We probably could do it. Is it harder? Yes. Would we get more discouraged? Yes. And this class, we hope, has sort of helped to introduce you to how God has gifted each of us and introduce us to so many of the ministries of the congregation. We're very grateful for Eric and Deanna, especially for leading the class this semester and for our guests who've come in and informed us and inspired us about all the great ministries in this church. We are so grateful and happy and um, Thank you for being a part of our class. Thank you to Deanna and Eric, especially for leading the class. And uh, I guess I'll put up a prayer. Anyone else want to make a comment here? We, we hope this has been enlightening for you. Maybe you have a story you want to share. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done the spiritual gifts, That's to right. do that, the inventory that's in it. It was, it was a very good learning and an opening experience for me. It doesn't take long. But, yeah, we, we, um, searched, we searched a number of places where we get that. And so if you haven't done the Spiritual Gifts Inventory, it's online, it's free, and it has a series of questions. And it kind of helps you understand which two or three elevate to your highest. And uh, that would probably affirm your and It may not giving, be what you think. It may be a surprise. Exactly. It may be a surprise. And uh, so, well. Thank you again for being in the class. Let's have a prayer together and we'll, we'll wind it up. Dear Father, thank you for gifting us. You gifted us by your spirit and uh, different ministries for the Lord, Jesus, and different purposes and passions from you. And in that we see the Trinity. We see how you have done that. So all of us have been gifted for the common good to bring glory to you and edify other people. Thank you for our guests in this class this semester who have encouraged us and enlightened us to realize there are so many areas where we can be of help, that you may have wired us and help us to understand that if we decline something, then someone is not being served as you as called. Help us to uh, be people who are about bringing glory to you. Thank you for our teachers of our class. Thank you for our participants. 
Thank you for loving us as you have. Help us to trust you more and depend on you more and look to you. We want to obey you and we want to follow your lead as you lead us in ministry life. For that's our worship to you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks to everybody. Well, right now, she's dealing with things there. But she left when she left the prison. She's very, very respectful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so we really enjoy the people there. She was very Yes, it was. I know. You're so relieved. That was scary. Yes, it was. I know. 